0: Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. All right, so I told me I need to sit down for this series. We're doing a little cafe theme. You'll find out why, which means I get to bring my coffee up, which is also good, um, Yeah, so I am a true Torontonian. I was sort of born and raised here, but let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I was born here, but my parents are Indian. Um, So I'm Indian, but as my friend said growing up, you're white underneath. Um, My dad was raised in a Hindu Brahmin family. My mom was raised in a nominal Christian home, but we are Christians. My closest friends growing up were uh, Trinidadian, Chinese, Dutch, And then a university malaysian uh, indonesian south african a few canadians sprinkled in there Um, i married a canadian girl my favorite foods are like japanese korean and yes indian we go out for indian food Um, and my kids friends are from afghanistan and uh, pakistan and india and they are have religious backgrounds, Muslim, Hindu, non-religious backgrounds, atheists, and I'm describing pretty much everyone who lives in Toronto, right? I'm, I am a true Torontonian. Uh, we actually live uniquely in a time where two factors are, are changing the way that we live. One is globalization, the, the fact that not only are people now moving more between places, um, on this planet, but different cultures are moving in and out of countries and language and food and all of that is becoming more accessible across the world. They say in Toronto that we are uh, considered one of, if not the most multicultural city in the world. There are apparently over 200 ethnic groups um, that are in Toronto and 140 languages spoken, which is incredible. And it's actually a badge, right, as Torontonians that we wear um, globally and saying we are a a diverse city. We are, and we're a city that embraces diversity. We're a country that opens its borders. We welcome um, cultural change and, and immigration and cultural diversity. And it does seem to be a value, certainly if I look at, you know, like the things that my kids uh, are learning, things that I never learned growing up in school about, um, you know, different religions and religious celebrations. And with the ethnic diversity comes religious diversity. And it would seem, though, that even though we say diversity is is a value for us culturally, that all is not well when it comes to diversity under the surface. Angus Reid is a, a research company that does independent research in Canada, and they did their um, religion uh, and faith in Canada study last year in 2017. And they found out a, a couple of interesting things. When they asked the question, is religion and faith, and, and the diversity of religion and faith, um, you know, do religions and faith bring a net good or net bad to culture? And 42% of them said, uh, some good, some bad. said, mostly bad, and another 4% said, all bad. And so you have over half the population that's saying mixed reviews about whether faith and religion in general and the increases of religion has a net positive impact on our culture. In fact, then they asked them by religious group, what do you think of religion X? Is it a net positive to the country or net negative? And it was interesting, some people saw as net positive, others people saw as net very negative, some said, well, there's some good and some bad. And then interestingly, the overwhelming majority of Canadians said whatever the faith is, it should be, uh, it should have a minimal impact in public life. That faith and religion is not really for public consumption, it's more of a private thing, and whatever you believe is okay, but it's best left behind doors. Um, if you add into there not only the increasing prevalence of religious diversity, but technology, so not just globalization but technology, what's interesting about technology? I don't know if you ever thought about this. It used to be that only certain people had a voice in society. If you had a public role, like if you were a public servant, or if you were, uh, or if you were a media personality, or if you were, um, you know, like a sports, uh, like caster or an athlete or a movie star or a music star you had influence you had voice people were always shoving a mic in front of your face but now with technology amazingly everybody has a voice we are being spoken to and influenced by all kinds of people and the great thing about this is more ages are represented so it isn't it isn't only 55 year old white men who have a voice in culture it's actually everybody can speak Everybody can put out a meme or tweet or put out a video and a how-to or here's my opinion on. And so not only with our religious diversity, we have more religions and faiths in our culture. We have more ideas in general. Right? There's just more religion and more ideas in the world around us. And yet, it would seem there's also some negative negativity, some blowback to that. If you ever, um, if you're reading a blog or you watch a video or you look at someone who's tweeted something and you scroll down on Instagram, whatever, and you see the comments underneath, there's a lot of negativity. And it actually doesn't take too far to get, so someone will post something, and six sort of responses are positive, and then someone comes out with something negative, boom, it's like everybody explodes. It's just like right under the surface is this level of angst and frustration and anger towards some of the ideas that are out there. And so one of the things I've noticed is we as a culture are saying, well, maybe our focus on diversity isn't a good thing. Let's focus on what we have in common. Let's minimize differences and focus on what makes us all the same, which actually is not diversity that's, again, coming back to uniformity. And we have this kind of, like, I live uh, very close to Wonderland, and so every so often I can be in the backyard and I can hear uh, the 16-year-old who doesn't want to be there on the mic telling people what to do for the umpteenth time as they ride the car, right? It's like that in Toronto. Welcome to Toronto. You know, please keep your religion and your faith inside your house at all times and everything will go well with you, right? Like That's kind of where we've landed because we don't know what to do with the competing religions, the competing ideas. And it seems like to us, if we read social media or if we read the news, that differences inherently create conflict. That to disagree with someone is to fight with them. And that if we are going to have competing ideas, competing religions, competing faith, it's going to lead to a fight. And I think sometimes as people of faith, we have sort of become complicit in that and said, and maybe you've experienced that where to talk about your faith or to talk about faith of any kind is sort of met with a little bit of resistance or people kind of look at you sideways. And maybe to say, okay, about faith, but as soon as you mention God or Jesus, right, we used to say you drop a J-bomb, it's like, whoa, everyone's like, whoa, conversation went somewhere. We're not sure about that. Let's backpedal. Or perhaps you've seen some of the the fighting between religions. Maybe your country of origin. You grew up and reading the newspaper or whatever was happening, it was always groups of different religious beliefs fighting with each other. Maybe you experienced that in your family. Maybe you've experienced that in your neighborhood. Maybe you've even seen it here. And so we can kind of say, yeah, that's true. It probably is best to just kind of keep our hands and feet inside the car at all times. But I think we have to reject that notion for a couple of reasons. One is if you're a Christian, uh, I was reading a book the other day and the guy said, you know what's unique about Christianity? He said Christians have always been interested in orthodoxy and that's just two words that means right thinking. Ortho meaning right, doxa meaning thinking. He said Christianity has primarily not been about orthopraxis, right practice. It's primarily not been about making sure you do the right things on the right days and whatever. And like, I know we've turned it into that, but he said at Christianity at its heart was always a religion about, or a faith about right thinking, which means you actually have to be talking about it all the time. And there will always be competing ideas, and that's okay. As Christians, we should be the first people to say, hey, we actually, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have competing ideas and have conversation. It doesn't need to lead to a fight. Yet yeah, would seem even in our history, the Christian religion, that has happened. And yet as Christians, we have to say, no, we reject this notion that to disagree or to debate is somehow wrong and that somehow it's going to lead to fighting and conflict. But I think the other reason we have to say, no, we need to be in a place in a world where we can talk about ideas or we can talk about religion and faith and ideas and together is because this, every religion, every worldview, is trying to answer the same questions. We're all trying to get at answers to the same questions. We're actually starting this series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And what does it mean in a world of ideas and religion, the fact that there's all kinds of diversity of ideas and religions out there, and yet underneath every one of us, no matter where you were born or what your background is or what your faith background is, we're all trying to figure out, why am I here on earth? Where am I going to go when I die? What is wrong with this world? There are actually questions. we all, Now, you may say, oh, I don't go around saying, what is the purpose of my life? But you do say, how long do I have to do this stupid job for? And is this what I was made for? You may not say, where do we go when we die? But you're afraid of death because you don't know. What does it mean and what's on the other side? And I think no matter what, whether you call yourself a religious person or not, whether you would identify with a certain religion or worldview or whatever, you'd say, yeah, actually, I need to know the answers to those questions. And so we're actually going to take the next seven weeks um, to explore life's most important questions. And what are the various religions and ideas that are out there that, that answer that? And ultimately, what does Jesus say? And you might say, well, wait, why, are we gonna, why do we want to know what Jesus says? I'm going to answer that question today. Because before we actually get into any of the questions, as we begin this journey, one of the things that we are stunned by is how God chose to deal with these questions. It actually comes from the passage that Neil read for us this morning in one of the biographies of Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but just some highlights for you of what John says as he's telling his story of the story of Jesus. In the beginning, this is in John 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That Word, the same Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. If you think about this for a moment, how did God choose to deal with life's most important questions. How did God choose to deal with you and I? The answer to life's most important questions is not about religion, and it's not about ideas. It's about a person. Jesus. The scriptures tell us the story of God dealing with his people is not about religion and it's not about ideology. It is about a person, Jesus. It says that, John says, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Now think about this. Isn't that what every religion, worldview, ideology sets out to answer? What is life about? And light, illumination, right? Right? And in a sense, every religion kind of claims that, this whole idea of enlightenment, even the enlightenment movement, which was the rejection of religion. is saying, hey, we are enlightened. We don't need religion anymore. Education, human progress, human potential is the new religion. All of it was about enlightenment, about having more understanding, and isn't that what you and I want? I want life to the full, and I want to understand the way this world really is. I want to rise above the confusion and the chaos to have illumination, to understand. I want light, but I also want life. And John says, in him, not in religion, not in ideology, but in him, a person, is light and life. And then he says, look, the way God chose to reveal light and life was to become flesh. And John says, to make his dwelling, or better translation, home among us. This is all relational language. The way God chose to deal with the world was to come into it as a person and make his home amongst the people that he was trying to save. And then it says, he came, Jesus, full of grace and truth. And the word truth there is not actually about um, truth statements like true and false the best translation of the word truth is probably the reality of things. So it says Jesus came from God full of grace and full of reality, which is the two things that you and I want most. In a world of anger and vengeance and angst, retaliation, war, family breakdown, we want grace we need grace we cannot afford to have religions and worldviews and ideas that propel conflict and anger we need grace we want people to be gracious to us and we need i don't know about you i need more grace in the way that i respond to the people around me and the scriptures say that jesus came from the father full of grace but also truth in a world of fake news and lying leaders and two-faced people where we're not sure who to believe about what, we want someone who is going to give us reality. This is the way it really is. The scriptures say, in Jesus, we find grace and also reality and understanding of the way the world is. If this is true, what does this tell us about God? It tells us that he did not come into this world to start a new religion. When I say religion, Right? What I mean is a system right, of beliefs and practices. Every religion, in a sense, has them. A holy book, a holy place, be it a church, a temple, a synagogue, set of holy practices like behavior, sacrifices, all of that system. And it's very easy to think that, oh, that's that's what God did. He sent Jesus to start another religion called Christianity, and so now there's this competing interest of ideas and, and religions. And that's actually not what John says. He says Jesus came himself, personally, not with a set of ideas or to start a new religion, but in fact, to end religion altogether. This is fascinating if you actually think about why Jesus got killed, he came as the Messiah who the Jews and the Jewish religion were looking to to be the savior of the world. And when he came, he said to them, you don't need your religion anymore. And he tried to shut it down. He said, you don't need sacrifices anymore. I am the perfect sacrifice. I will die in your place. You don't need the temple anymore. I am the place where people meet with God. I am the place where heaven touches earth. You don't need teaching anymore. He says, you you search the scriptures because you think they have life, but they point to me. He said, I am what your holy book has been about the whole time. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to end it and replace it with himself. Which categorically puts Jesus in another place in this discussion about religion and about ideas. He is himself the end of religion. And John says he came to his own but his own did not receive him. That's why. Because he said all of this system of rules and holy places and holy book and holy practices and sacrifices that you have come to rely on, that you have come to love because it gives you your identity and your sense of stability, you do not need it anymore. I am the priest. You don't need priests anymore. I am the temple. There isn't a specific place you have to go to meet with God. When you meet with me, you meet with God. I am the sacrifice. You don't have to keep paying for your sins. I will pay for them once and for all. Isn't that incredible? Categorically something else than what we know. And this is interesting because every other religious founder points to teachings or a book or to God. Right? In 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 the Muslim religion, there is the Quran and the hadith, the the oral traditions, the teaching. In the Hindu religion, there is the Vedas that are are said to be um, impersonal and authorless, the teachings. Um, Buddha, as he started Buddhism, pointed to the, the, um, the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism, which leads you to the Eightfold Pathway and the teachings and the practices, many of which are good practices, but all of them had this in common, they pointed to the practices, to pointed away from themselves, Jesus uniquely pointed to himself. There's a story later on in this biography of Jesus where he heals a man who's born blind, and the man comes to him to thank him, and it says he falls at Jesus' feet and begins to worship him. Now, any self-respecting, humble, true religious man would have lifted him up to the ground and say, I appreciate that, you know, just send me a gift card, you don't need to worship me. It says he received the worship. And he even said to them, if you have seen me, you have seen God. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He didn't point to a holy book, he didn't point to a holy place and said, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life. He said, it is me, it is me, it is me. And then he said, I am the bread of life. Everything about it. And yet he's regarded as one of the most humble people, if not the most humble person to ever walk the face of the earth, gave up his life. His sacrificial death is known around the world. And yet he continued to point people to himself and this is so unique he says you don't need that anymore you have me it tells us that God first and foremost is knowable right if 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 life is about the teachings and the practices are we ever really good enough can we ever quite do it all if life is about only certain holy people or only certain holy places have access to God, then we ourselves are always one, two, three, four, six degrees removed. But John says, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. He says, Jesus who is in, he said, closest relation with the Father, the old school Bible say, um, in, in the bosom of the Father. Someone once said, it's like God opened up his chest cavity and Jesus walked out. <laughs> this idea of closeness to God, he says, has made him known. Many times, maybe you've said this or other people said this to you in your quest for God or your quest for these answers. Oh, who can really know? Nobody can really know. Or go to speak to the religious experts. Go ask the pastor. Go ask the priest. Go ask whoever. Scriptures say Jesus has come to make God known in the flesh. You can learn teachings, but you know a person. In Christ, we are given the opportunity to know God personally in relationship with him. Now, what does this tell us about us? That this is way harder than we think it is. We'd much rather have religion. Just tell me what to do. If it changes, you know, send me a footnote. Tell me where to go. Tell me how I'm supposed to live. I don't want to have to think, I just want to have to do. Or I will just, you know, it's easier to worship a set of practices or worship the book. Even the Christian religion, in a sense, has taken the Bible at times and put it above Jesus. Instead of saying, no, this is the thing that actually points us to him. Relationships, as you know, and I know, are much harder. But it tells us that our quest in life To know the answers to the most important questions is a quest of relationship to know Jesus more because he is the one who has revealed God to us. And like any relationship, you have to pursue it. You have to grow in it. You have to continue on in it. If someone says to me, tell me about your marriage, I say, well... We were married 16 and a half years ago, and I still believe she exists. You're like, what? What? And yet some of us are like that. Oh, I met Jesus when I was five, and I still believe in God. That's good, but that's not a, the substance of a relationship. And in fact, if I told you, you know what? I got married 16 years ago, and nothing has changed in our marriage. At least one person in the room would say, it would be nice if it did, right? <laughs> that's weird. That's not relationship. That's, I have a name, I have a place, I know, now kind of punch this card, you know, I'm just, that's who I am. That's not life and light. And so if Jesus really, at least this is what he said about himself, At the very least, we know this is what he said. He continually pointed to himself that he got killed because he came not to start a new religion but to shut down religion altogether because he said, but you, you don't need a set of practices and a set of ways and a holy place and a holy set of behavior. You need a relationship with God and I have come to give it to you to the full. But it also means this. In a world of conflicting ideas and a lot of anger and angst, we are meant to approach the world the same way God approached us. Personally. Like if you are a follower of Jesus, your primary aim in life is not to go tell people stuff about God. Like communicate ideas or argue about which religion is more true. Because that is not how God approached you. God did not dispense a religion to us or send a few qualified people with some great ideas and say, go, 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 spread these ideas around. He came to us. He lived among us. He empathized with all of our way of life, our coming and going. He worked longer as a blue-collar man than he did as the Messiah. He suffered with and for the people he had come to love. The scriptures say that famous verse they hold up at baseball games, I don't know if they still do. (laughs) God so loved the world that he gave. And so you and I in a world where people are learning that if you disagree, if you have this religion or that religion or this idea or that, it means you have to fight. You and I go into a world and saying that's not how God approaches people who think differently from him. And friends, we have a lot of ground to cover as the church. Because there is this thing, if we can be honest, that's the Christian religion, much of which Jesus himself would say that's not true. That's not actually pointing people to. Me. We have a lot of ground to make up the history of the church and the way that we have been the source and the lightning rod in a sense of conflict and argument instead of people who have approached the world the same way God has approached us, by giving himself personally to you and I, living amongst us, and letting his life change our lives. And so here's what I would encourage you with over these next several weeks and in your own quest to answer life's most important questions. Make it personal. Make it personal. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're saying, I- I'm still figuring this out. Maybe you spent your whole life in church or you grew up in another religion. And a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, oh, well, you grew up that way and because you grew up that way, that's what you believe. And I suppose it's true that whatever we grew up with influences us heavily. But it isn't necessarily what we grew up with, the source of life and truth. We actually have to find that for ourselves. And so I'd encourage you, whatever, wherever you are in this spectrum, if you say, oh, well, I'm not religious at all. I'm just trying to piece this together. I don't know what I would say I am or what I think. That you would make it personal. What I am inviting you to do is to enter into a journey to know Jesus more. I don't know what will happen in that journey. That's up to him and you. I'm just inviting you to go on a date and go on another one. And so for some of you that may be, just come back next week. If you happen to be visiting here, you don't live in this city or whatever, we're online as well. You can track online. We have a congregation in Bolton now as well. So if you live up that way, I'm inviting you to make it personal and say, okay, Let me actually go on a journey to say, he said this about himself. Is he actually true? Is this reality? And is this the path of grace as well? And for those of you that would say, oh, I know Jesus personally. Let me ask you this. Who else do you know personally? Is there a people around you that God has actually sent you to? And do you know them other than oh, they believe this or they have this religion or actually don't know anything about them. Who do you know personally? If this is how God treated you and I, is to come and live with us and do life with us and actually place himself amongst us, what does it mean for us to approach a world that is so desperate for grace and reality in a way that says, God, who have you sent me to personally? This morning, we get to celebrate something that the church has been celebrating since the beginning of life with Jesus. Some traditions call it the Eucharist or the host, or we call it communion here, or you've heard the Lord's Supper. All of those things are describing something that Jesus had a meal with his disciples 2,000 years ago, and for 1,600 years before then, it had always meant one thing. It was a symbol to them of how God had rescued them as being slaves in Egypt and had become now made them a people and they had had an ethnic identity. And so this was a meal that was very tied up in their religion and their sense of self. And Jesus says, that isn't what this is about anymore. This is now about me. I know it used to mean something else to you, religion. It doesn't mean that anymore. Now every time you eat this, you're going to remember me. You're going to remember what I have. It was, a, it was the ultimate way of him replacing religion with himself and saying, you don't need to remember that God sent, you know, saved you as slaves and gave you an ethnic identity anymore. What you need to remember now is that I have given my life to you to save you from sin and to give you a whole new life. That's what this means now, forever. It is also the symbol of saying God gave us himself. He is personally invested in his love for us to the point that he gave up his life.